This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. Good morning. It is a real privilege and a pleasure and honor to be here. I bring you greetings from the churches in Canada and specifically from the elders in Ottawa. We had a great time uh, just before I left of prayer just over our time here in mine and Todd's time here in Living Rock and praying for you guys. Um, so uh, I, I, they said to make sure that I sent their greetings and their love to you. Um, also from Caleb and Alex who are doing great. They are uh, are doing very well. They live very close to Sarah and myself, and uh, they send their love and their greetings as well. Um, and from my wife, who also said, make sure you greet everybody for me. I'm just going to greet you for about an hour this morning from the various people, and then we'll go. Uh, <laughs> um, a, uh, a little while ago, I was on the phone to a friend of mine in, uh, in Wisconsin, and he reminded me of how we first met. And uh, we first met in I- Israel. Many years ago, I did a cycle trip uh, through Israel with Help International. Some of you might remember that. And uh, he was re- we were reminiscing about, uh, about my first day. Because I'm, I'm not really a cyclist. I know that probably comes as a surprise. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I had you know, done a little bit of training. And uh, we decided out the first day, I'm, I'm not usually much of a breakfast eater. And so the first day, I thought... We cycled for a couple hours from 6 until 8, and then we stopped at this place to have, have breakfast where they'd put out a breakfast for us. And I thought, you know what? I'm not really that hungry. I'm just going to have a cup of coffee, as I usually do, and some water. And somehow I thought that might be sufficient. And uh, so we get back on our bikes and we're going, and they say, okay, there's a fork in the road here, and you have two options. You can go around the mountain that we're approaching which is flat um, and easy, or you can cycle above and go over the top of the mountain, and the views are magnificent. And so I looked at my friend, and I said, you want to go over, don't you? And he's like, yeah. I was like, okay, I'll go with you. So we decide with one of our guides to go up over this mountain. What they didn't tell us is that it was so steep that most of the time you had to carry your bike. And so, we, you know, you end up throwing your bike on your back, and you're, you're literally using your, your hands and your feet, and you're just climbing, literally climbing up this mountain until we get to the top. And by the time you get to the top, you know, I couldn't breathe. Uh, and you're looking around, you're like, yeah, if I could see, I could probably appreciate the view. But at least I thought, you know what, the ride down, that's going to be awesome. But what they didn't tell us is the ride down was through farmer's fields, so you had to carry your bike all the way down the hill. And this took hours. And uh, by now, we get, we get to the bottom of the hill, and it's about 2 o'clock, and I haven't eaten anything yet today, and all we've done is bike and, well, mountain climb with bikes on our back. Uh, and we get to the bottom, and I'm not even a mile away from where I can see everyone's camped for lunch. And I'm, I'm cycling, and I'm starting to bike, And I'm starting to faint while I'm biking. And I don't know if you've ever fainted before, but it's a very peculiar experience because, for me anyway, everything begins to grow dim on the edges. And suddenly, I have tunnel vision. And I'm thinking, I've got to get to the place 
where we're having lunch, and I can't fall over. And so I, I keep going, I keep going. By the time I get to the station, I'm like from here to the back, away from where they are, where we drop our bikes and where they're serving, serving lunch. And by now, as I'm walking toward the buffet table where everybody is, not only am I losing my sight, but I'm losing my hearing. It's the weirdest experience where I can hear people talking, saying, like, Steve, are you okay? You don't look well. What's going on? You sh- uh, and I can hear it, but I don't even have the ability to respond because all I knew is I needed to get to that table. And then this is, I was so thirsty, and I was so hungry at the t- same time. I was shaking. And I looked, and I, this was my thought process at the time. They had, where the people were preparing, they were cutting up tomatoes, and I thought, I'm going to grab some of these tomatoes because it's kind of like eating and drinking at the same time. And I grabbed them, these tomatoes and I just start shoving them into my face as fast as I can get them into me. And <laughs> I can hear everyone saying, Steve, there's actually prepared sandwiches right here. You don't need to shove tomatoes in your face. Uh, but honestly, I, I, I didn't care. All I, ha- I knew that I had a few seconds before I hit the ground. And so I shoved a bunch of tomatoes in my face and then sat down and then laid down and then fell asleep for about, <laughs> for about for what, half an hour, then got up, had a drink, had lunch, and felt great for the rest of the, for the, rest of the day. And I made sure that I took enough water and enough food with me for, for, for where I was going. But I remember being so hungry and so thirsty that nothing else mattered, and no, none of the other voices, none of the things on the periphery mattered. I knew that if I didn't get something to drink, and if I didn't get something to eat, that I was going to die. That's what it felt like. Um, and it reminded me of this scripture, and I want to turn you there uh, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, I'm reading from the NIV, verse 5. It's talking about Jesus. It says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink... You would have asked him for a drink, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. 
He said to her, go and call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she said. So Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now isn't your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of, the wor- kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. All right. So it's a, it's a tremendous sort of story that we come across here. It says, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. I just want to highlight that for just a minute. Jesus was tired. Jesus, one version says, weary. Weary though he was from the journey. Do you know that being weary is not a sin? Being tired is not a sin. You don't have to feel guilty when you feel weary or tired. Our response can be what Christ's response is here, and we're going to unpack that in a minute. But I just wanted to hit that right off the bat. For those of you who not only feel weary, but then an enemy comes and tries to make you feel guilty for being weary. Being weary isn't a sin. Jesus, weary though he was from the journey, sat down beside the well. And there's this woman, and he says, please give me a drink. And she's like, what? I'm a, I'm a woman, and I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew. This interaction shouldn't be happening. And he says, if you had an idea what was really going on here, if you had an idea of who I was and what well I'm actually beside, you'd ask me for a drink, and out of you would flow rivers of living water. He says the same thing a few chapters later in John chapter 7. At the, the last and greatest day of the feast, which was the water day of the feast, he stands up and he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me, and out of him will flow rivers of living water. And this, of course, is counterintuitive. This doesn't make sense. There's nothing natural about this because naturally, like when I was cycling, if you're thirsty, into you should flow some living waters or tomatoes. Um, you, you, if you're thirsty, you want to get something into you. But Jesus here highlights something spiritually. He says, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and out of you will flow something. And in John chapter 7, It says, and he was referring to the Holy Spirit who had not yet been poured out. It, I I had the I had the benefit and the blessing of growing up in a Christian home. Um, Let me rephrase that because my home wasn't Christian. I I I had the benefit of growing up in a home that just we didn't just believe in God, we didn't just go to church, but I had the benefit of growing up in a church that understood something about the presence of God about who God is. Like so many of the kids here have the rich inheritance from their parents of growing up in a home that, that understands the presence of God. And, but I grew up and I look back and I had lots of seasons when I had dry times in my life where things just seemed to not be working and seemed to not be flourishing. 
And it took me a long time to realize that it's what comes out of you that determines whether you're dry or whether you're flourishing. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. It's something that flows out of you that begins to water your life, not just flow into you. And for a long time, I, began, I, I always went to the Lord, Lord, I'm dry, Lord, I'm struggling, Lord, this is difficult. And I would look for something external to come into me, and all along, he had placed something on the inside of me. He says here to this woman that it will be like a spring welling up from the inside. If you're thirsty, I'll put a spring inside of you. I'll put a well inside of you that you can draw from any time that you like. And she says this, but sir, but sir, the well is deep. This isn't a shallow well. You can't just reach into this well. This well is deep. And not only is the well deep, you have nothing with which to draw from. And suddenly the conversation takes a turn. And they begin to talk about worship. Not just singing songs, not just the culture of worship music, but he begins to talk about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And he says, a time is coming and has now come where worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. This is the type of worshiper that my father is seeking. And suddenly you begin to get a realization that the Father, in ha- he is seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. But sir, this well is deep and you have nothing with which to draw. Yeah, let's talk about worship. Let's talk about worshiping our Father. But sir, this well is deep. And you begin to see he's not talking about the same well that she's talking about. He sat down beside a well that she knew nothing of. And, that's, and he also had food that the disciples a little bit later knew nothing of because he was hungry, he was weary, he was tired, he was thirsty. But suddenly the disciples show up with food that they bought from town. He's like, actually, I'm good. And they're like, what? Did, did, someone, did someone bring him some takeout from somewhere else? Was he hiding snacks? He's like, no, no. And you begin to realize that Jesus was talking about a spiritual reality when their minds were locked into what was simply natural. But sir, you have nothing. This this well is deep, and you, you can't draw from it. No, he can draw from a well that is supernatural. And you begin, you draw from, by what comes out of you, not what goes into you. So that when we begin to understand the spiritual realities here, it's through worship that we draw from the well that's inside of us. It's through what comes out of us. My father is seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. It's taken me a long time in my Christian walk to realize that not only has God, by his Holy Spirit, placed inside of me rivers of living water, he's placed inside of you a well, but our mouth is the tap that turns that water on. Our mouth is the spigot that opens up those rivers of living water. My personal challenge has been, if I'm I'm honest, I didn't really understand worship, and I don't really like to sing. And so I was like, well, 
I'd like to read something. I could read. I could, I could talk to people. I could preach about something. But don't ask me to sing, Lord. And even then, when it, became, when it came to like, okay, I'm going to determine to worship. I remember, I remember one time when we were at Covenant College and I sat in the round at Nettle Hill and I was like, okay, I am going to worship on my own for half an hour. I'm going to do it. I, I didn't make it 30 seconds, literally. I was like, this is so awkward. <laughs> you probably aren't like that, but I found, I found it difficult. I was like, okay, God, you are so good. You're good, God. I, okay, I think I said that already. You're really good. What else do I say? I should sing. Oh, I really don't want to sing. Maybe I'll put some music on. And I had to, it's been so difficult for me to allow God to place his hands of ownership on my personality. Because I've given my life to him. Which means that he has the right to place his hands of ownership to sculpt my personality into who it is that he's actually called me to be. So I find myself having to learn to sing. I find myself having to learn to worship. On that, by the way, just a practical tip, the Psalms are really, really helpful. Really helpful when you're trying to teach yourself, how, how, do, I worship, how do I worship God? I could do it when somebody was, was, I could follow the words when someone was playing music, but I can't get these guys to follow me around every day <laughs> on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. So how am I going to live a life of, of, of that sort of expression? So it's taken a little bit of will, of will to say, you know what, like David read, I will praise the Lord. My lips will always have his praises on them. Especially when there's, there's times when you, I don't feel like it. God, I don't want to praise you right now. I'm kind of annoyed. I'm kind of upset. I'm kind of in a bad mood. But you know God is always worthy of our praise. He's always worthy of an expression of thanksgiving and praise and worship. Always from me. And when you begin to worship and truly worship, again, I'm not talking about the, 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 the culture of just singing worship music. This stuff is great, but it's only meant to be a conduit. It's meant to be a vehicle that causes us to have an encounter with the living God. You begin to worship when you really come to the end of yourself and the beginning of him. It's, it's worth-ship. It's you begin to realize he is worth absolutely everything from me. Like the gentleman came up here this morning and just, he just, get, he just gave an exhortation of worship. How, how wonderful God is and what, and what he has done. It's realizing that it's not about me, it's about you. And then shifting your eyes off of yourself and putting them on God and then beginning to express that. And it's, you begin to drink from a well supernaturally that he's put on the inside of you. And it causes you to be filled with the Spirit. Filled with rivers of living water. The well that's inside of us begins to bubble up. It becomes, like, it's, like he said, a spring welling up from the inside. It's, it's tremendous when we think of the power that he has given to us just by what comes out of our mouth. By being able to, no matter where we are, it doesn't matter 
the pressures that, you, that you're facing. It doesn't matter the struggles that you're embattled in. When you begin to truly worship God, when you begin to give him praise, you align yourself with the absolute truth of the universe, that God is worthy. And as you begin to say, God, you're so worthy, and I love you, and I just want to give you thanks. You're so magnificent to my life. Your, your, your works are so wonderful. As you begin to worship, it's not just something natural that happens. You're not simply stringing together scriptures or good things you've heard somebody else say, but when it comes from your spirit, you step from the natural into the supernatural. You actually move from one dimension into another dimension, and you can do this every day, and not only can we do it every day, but we can set up our home in the presence of God. We're not meant to simply have excursions in and out of the presence of God, depending on our feelings or our emotions, or when we last made it to a good worship service. We can actually set up our home in the presence of God, and one of the primary ways that we can do that is simply through worship. Just saying, Jesus, I'm just going to put my attention on you, and I'm going to express something out of me to you. So it's not just contemplating. I was okay with contemplating, with thinking about things, but to train myself to speak, to train myself to sing. Out, if anyone is thirsty, out of him will flow rivers of living water. It's what comes out of you that waters you. Jesus was sitting beside a well that she didn't understand. He was talking about something spiritual. If you had come, if you if you're thirsty, come to me and I'll place this well inside of you and inside of you Something will, supernatural will happen so that out of you, wherever you are, wherever in the world, whatever race, color, ethnicity, gender you are, whatever <coughs> battle you're facing, whatever pressures are on you, you can draw from the well and live a well-watered life simply by what comes out of your mouth. Simply by making a choice to worship. A choice to give him praise. It's the most beautiful thing when you're facing pressures, when you're facing challenges, when you're facing difficulties. It's great when you're on a mountaintop. It seems for some reason easier then, but you can be weighed down with all kinds of things. But when you truly begin to worship, as he says here, when you begin to worship in the spirit, when you begin to worship in spirit and truth, like I said, you step into something supernatural. And you know what? Those problems, they don't get to come with you. Those pressures, those challenges, those things that you're battling, they all stay there as you ascend the hill of the Lord. And suddenly you're before him in the throne room. And it's just you and him. And then you begin to be caught by him. You begin to be caught by his beauty, by his majesty, by his magnificence as you begin to see him. And suddenly you look back and you think, I can't even see those things anymore. They're so small and insignificant. All the pressures that, are, that were so big and so insurmountable, as you've ascended the hill of the Lord and realized where you're seated with him, suddenly everything looks so different because your whole perspective has changed because you've drawn from a well that's been placed inside of you. Um, Song of Songs, uh, chapter 2, please. I hadn't planned on speaking on this part of the scripture right here until this morning for the Lord lay this on my heart for us. Song of Songs, chapter 2. 
I just want to talk for just a second about worship and about pursuing the presence of God. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8. And it's the, the, the woman speaking. Listen, my lover. Look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young, young stag. Look. There he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My lover spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in the land. The fig tree forms its early fruit, and the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. It's a beautiful picture of springtime and a season, a season of love. And here you have the woman who catches a glimpse of her lover. She catches a glimpse just enough to catch all of her attention. And she sees him and he says, there he is, peering through the window, looking through the lattice. But then he doesn't stay there. He calls out to her and he says, arise and come with me. And then as you read through the chapter, she has to arise. For chapter three, she says, all night long on my bed, I looked For the one my heart loves. I looked but I didn't find him. I will get up now. And go about the city. Twice he says to her. Arise and come with me. He shows himself to her. Here I am. I'm looking at you. I'm peering at you through the lattice. You can't see me fully. But you've seen enough of me. And I want you to arise and to come with me. And at first he says. Well I looked all night for him where I was comfortable. I looked all night on my bed. I didn't get up and arise. I just looked from where I was. And for some reason, I couldn't find him. But then as you, as you read the story, which we won't uh, read this morning, she eventually arises. She gets up from her place of comfort. She gets up from her place of slumber. She gets up from the things that she was used to. And she begins to pursue him. And I believe that this is something that God is calling to all of us. But, and this was part of the prophetic word that came through the elders at home, but especially to those of us who have been here a long time, who've walked with God a long time. That part of the word of God to us this morning, those of us who've worked, walked with the Lord a long time, is to come out of the place of comfort again, where you've seen him, you've caught a glimpse, he's peered at us through the lattice, but there's a time that's now to arise and to come with, to come with him. That he doesn't want us to get settled. He doesn't want us to stay where we are. That it's those of us who have set our hearts on pilgrimage, on the constant moving journey with him. And that there's a pursuit of his presence that he's calling us into that means we will have to leave behind some of our comfort, some of our slumber, some of our ease, when you read the story, she gets beaten. She gets told to go home. She says, what are you doing out here? Go back. 
And she says, no, I've seen my lover. I've seen a glimpse of him. I've caught, I know that he's out here, and there's nothing that's going to stop me from pursuing him. And that's what God is calling us into, I believe, right now, is a pursuit of being with him, a pursuit of his presence. And as we begin to worship him, as you begin to express who he is, the Bible says this, that God arises amidst the praises of his people. You want God to show up in a situation, just begin to praise him. Just begin to give him thanks. Just begin to declare who he is. And suddenly, as it says, God arises amidst the praises of his people. It doesn't say God arises amidst our thoughts. God arises amidst our doctrine. God arises amidst our intellect. God arises against my complaining or my bad attitude or my why God won't you answer my prayers the way I think you should and the timing that you think you should, the timing that I think you should. It says God arises amidst the praises of his people. It's like as we begin to praise him, not only do we step into something different, but God himself begins to ride into the situation of our life simply because we began to give him praise. We began to worship him. We began to draw from the well. The picture that I often have in my own head, this may help you, it may just cause you to think I'm weird, uh, but is that, you know, one of the, like, a deep well that has um, buckets on it, a bunch of buckets that are all attached on a rope. And for me, every expression of praise in my own head is like one of those buckets coming out. And God, you are so good. It's like a bucket coming out. I love you, Lord Jesus, is a bucket coming out. I thank you for all that you've done in my life, Lord Jesus. Like the gentleman here tonight, you've removed all of my sins. It's like another bucket coming out. Thank you, Jesus, for my marriage. Thank you, Jesus, for the wife that you've given me. Thank you for my children. And, these are, and suddenly these are buckets coming out of, of the well that's been placed on the inside of me. And all of the areas of my life begin to be irrigated. This is something that's spiritual, but it's also very practical, and the effects are really practical. When you know dryness, dryness may be in your marriage, dryness in your home, dryness with your kids, in relationships, in atmospheres, in finances, in attitudes, in mental disposition, whatever it is, wherever you know dryness, that's a place that can be irrigated simply by giving thanks, giving worship, giving praise. And suddenly areas that were dry begin to become areas in Psalm 84, begin to become areas that become pools. One quick thing on dryness, I don't want to major on this because I'm not trying to scare us, I'm just trying to put it into perspective. Uh, Matthew 12, 43 said, you don't have to turn there, just write it down. Jesus says this, casting a demon out of a man. And he says, when an unclean spirit comes out of a man, it looks for dry and arid places to find rest as a resting place. When an unclean spirit comes out of a man, so the the, the enemy that we face is looking for areas that are dry so that he can come and find a resting place there. And that, just like the well wasn't simply a natural well, just like the spring wasn't a spiritual spring, it's the same with the dry places. It's not just they're looking for an actual desert. He's look, an enemy's looking at your life. He's looking at your life and thinking, is there a dry place 
that I can come and find as a resting place, that I can come and begin to get a foothold? Is there a dry place in the thinking, in the attitudes, in the heart, in the, in the practices? Is there something that's not, being, that's not flourishing because of the spring that's inside? And I can come and find a spot that I can rest and I can, I can begin to get a foothold in this person's life. The good news is, though, and again, for time's sake, we won't look there, but Mark chapter 5, Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man who's got so many demons in him that they call themselves legion. And uh, Jesus is about to cast them out, and they say, oh, don't send us into the abyss. Send us into those pigs. Why a Jewish farmer had 2,000 pigs, I don't know. <laughs> but he had 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of work. Sarah and I have four pigs, and it's a lot of work. This guy had 2,000 pigs. And uh, they say, send us into those pigs. And so, I mean, I don't understand this, but he says, okay, and he sends them into the pigs. Which they, and they get enraged, and they go crazy, and they run down the bank. And you know the story. They, they, they run into the sea, and they all, it says that they all drown. Or one translation says, and they all choked on the water. See, the enemy can't stand when it's not a dry place. There's no room for the enemy. When you're living a life that's, being, that's flourishing because you're drawing from the well that's been placed inside of you. If we allow the rivers of living water that don't just, they, they don't come to us, that they come from us, if we allow these things to water all the areas of our life, it begins to choke out the enemy. That's what, this is what real spiritual warfare looks like. It's not going after an enemy. It's actually just beginning to allow the river of living water that's already inside of you to begin to flow. And the enemy just gets choked. The enemy dies without us having to go after it and, and shout at it and name it and understand it, get its blood type. We don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. All we have to do is draw from the well, is use our mouth to turn the tap of the rivers of living water that are inside of us and watch as the dry areas become areas that are flourishing. Amen. Psalm 60, um, 68 verse 6 says... The rebellious live in dry and arid places. Let me just explain, explain that. That is, wherever it is that we're, that we're not yielding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit is an area that becomes dry. Does that make sense? So where the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and saying, Son, I want you to move this way. I want you to do this. I want you to change this. I, son, I want to speak to you. Or daughter, I want to speak to you about this. An area where we're resisting consistently the prompting of God becomes an area where the rivers of living water don't have access. We're not irrigating that area of our life, and it becomes dry. That's why it says the rebellious live in dry places. The good news is in the house of God, I know that our heart is not to be rebellious. Our heart is to be men and women who are filled yes. to overflowing Amen. with his presence. Yes. Where every area of our life is well watered. Every area of our life is well irrigated and begins to flourish. Psalm, let's turn to Psalm 84.
Okay, I'm going to read this scripture to you. It'll be the last one I think that we look at. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the living God. My heart and my flesh cry out. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord, Almighty, my King, my God, how happy are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Do you know that? I think that's both cause and effect. How happy are those who are dwelling in your presence? They are ever praising you. They're praising him because they're dwelling in his presence, and they're dwelling in his presence because they're praising him. How happy, how blessed, how fulfilled are those who dwell in your presence? How full of joy and how full of strength and how full of peace are those who simply dwell in your presence because they're ever praising you. And because they're ever praising you, they're full of joy and they're full of peace. They're full of strength. Blessed are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on pilgrimage, who have not gotten satisfied where they are, have not gotten satisfied with peering at him through the window. I see enough of him that I'm a Christian. I see enough of him that I go to church. I see enough of him that he helps me in my daily life. I think I'm fine with that. But how blessed are them who are set on pilgrimage, who will get up from their place of comfort and say, no, I've seen so much, but I've not seen enough. I'm so thankful for how much he's revealed to me, but I'm so hungry, I'm so thirsty for him, to, for me to see more of him. Yeah. How happy, how blessed, how fulfilled are those who, who are not settled where they are, but have set their hearts on pilgrimage, yeah. on moving forward. Yeah. Says this, as they pass through the valley of Baca, or as they pass through the wilderness, <coughs> or a difficult place, it says, they make it a place of springs. As they pass through a place that is dry, that it's wilderness, that it's not productive, because of the well that's inside of them, they cause everything around them to begin to change. And this is the, this is the beginning of the ultimate fulfillment of, as I think Richard said this morning, of why we are filled with the Holy Spirit. First, we're filled because he wants to take over every area of our life and cause it to flourish. We're filled because he fills us up, but we're filled to overflow. It's streams of living water because we live in a world that is dying of thirst. We live in a world that is so thirsty for the presence of God that it will require men and women who so regularly are filled with worship that the streams of living water are simply too much to contain in their own life. There's too much blessing, there's too much joy, there's too much strength, there's too much peace, and you just can't contain it, and the next thing you know, you're an overflowing river. You're, there's a river of living water that's spilling out into all the areas of your life. It's, it can't be contained with just your spouse or your kids, but suddenly your neighbors begin to notice. Suddenly your coworkers begin to notice. Suddenly your, your schoolmates begin to notice. 
that there's something so different about your life? Why is it that every area of your life is, is flourishing, and even when it's not, you're able to give praise and give worship to him? Why is it? Explain this to me. Why is your life so different? And suddenly the rivers that are placed inside of you that have come to you, but then you begin to realize they're not just for you. They're for a world. They make the place around them a place of springs. I believe, folks, that this church, this house, is a house of springs. Springs of living water. Springs of living water. How is this world going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea? By men and women being so filled with his presence that the streams of living water are spilling out everywhere. And then... And then there's a response from heaven. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. So suddenly deep calls to deep. Water calls to water. The dimension of the Holy Spirit that's inside of you provokes a response from heaven. And the autumn rains begin to flow on the earth. And next thing you know, the knowledge of who God is, his glory... That is, all that he is and all that he does, all of his character and all of his power, suddenly the knowledge of the glory of God begins to cover the earth because of us beginning to draw from the well and having a well-watered life that begins to overflow into our families, into the atmosphere of our home, into our schools, into our workplace. And, and, And heaven responds... And then it says, from strength to strength, until each appears before God in Zion. All right, I'm going to ask, could you stand with me, please? If I could have someone come on the piano, please. For be somebody who can play the piano. <laughs> Just put your attention on the Lord for a moment. If any man thirsts, let him come to me. And out of you will flow rivers, rivers, rivers of living water. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.